0: Hi, this is Donna Riche and,
1: and this is Ray Reish
0: with Character Inc. Press and Raising Kids with Character Parenting Seminar and Blog. Today we would like to bring you for our Wondering Wednesday podcast episode an audio uh, in which we present our Creating a Love for Learning presentation. So, we are going to just dig right in today, and hopefully you have the handout in front of you. If not, you can find it at the Character Inc. blog or Raising Kids with Character. You can get to it from both places, so you can follow along and have the handout in front of you.
1: When you hear the term, love for learning, what do you you think about? Are you thinking about the student who just can't wait to do their algebra assignments? Or are you thinking about the student who just loves to sit at a table for two or three hours writing a, writing a report to be turned in later? See, we want to start with what, what does love for learning really look like? And we'll use our children as examples. But love for learning would be something like this. After your student graduates from high school they continue on studying as much or even more to continue to obtain knowledge. Or love for learning would look like another one of our children who is working on their fourth college degree just because she can do it and she has something else she would like to do and so she just says, "Oh, it's just a degree. I'll just go ahead and, and do it." Our love for learning is, when we have seven children, five of them are in college all right now. See, that they want to continually, continually, continually learn something. It's not strictly academics, but it's in all areas. Let's just start with some definitions here. The definition of love. It means to have a warm attachment, or an enthusiasm for, or devotion for. And then the term learning. It is an activity or process of gaining knowledge by studying, practicing, being taught, are experiencing something. So oftentimes, I think we have this concept of love for learning, and we get it very narrow minded, and we think that people are just going to really enjoy being taught something or really enjoy studying something. And that's just part of it. But if you look at the broader picture of this, it's not just studying or not being taught something, but it's being able to practice something that they've learned. Or it's the the bigger picture of they can experience it. They can not only see it in a textbook, but they can actually touch it and feel it in real life. And they can really put it into their mind and really learn it. So this love for learning... I want you to get away from thinking about textbooks only or thinking of a teacher and a student. It's a much, much broader concept of your child always wanting, has this warm affection toward learning and experiencing more things. We'll start out with a few uh, things that make this love for learning. and Most of what we're going to share today are things that our children have told us. We went to them and we said, obviously we've done something right in this area because all of you love to learn. Tell us what did we do. And they shared a lot of things that we did as a a family when they were growing up and still do. And that's kind of what we put together here to share with you. So the first thing is you make learning a big part of your family.
0: That is that learning is not isolated. It is not something that is done just, you know, during the school day, or it's not something that is done by individuals, but rather it is done as a big, as a big a bigger picture, a big part of your family. The first aspect of this is to model a love for learning, whether your children admit it or not, they want to be just like you. And especially with small children, if they see you doing things, they will do those exact things. And so if you are always having to be entertained or always having to watch things on video or always having to play games on the computer or on your device or something, then that is what they will take up for themselves. And the same thing is true of learning. When I was in teacher's college, we were... uh, Actually, it was in my master's work in reading education, reading specialist. We were told to do this technique called the sustained silent reading, SSR. And in that method of uh, learning, you were supposed to have a period of time for 10 minutes or 15 minutes each day in which everybody was supposed to get out their SSR book, their sustained silent reading book. And they did studies on teachers who did this approach, who used this approach to uh, teaching reading And they found that uh, children whose teachers also did SSSR, in other words, the teacher also read from a book during SSR time, as opposed to filing your nails or grading papers or whatever, that those children were more likely to enjoy SSSR, to be engaged in their book, and to love reading. And that is just one small example of modeling and the effect that it can have on your children. We took a Disney trip uh, about 12 years ago to Disney World and preparing for that Disney trip at that time there w- wasn't a lot of there weren't a lot of online resources like there are today but I had this huge big thick book that I marked up with sticky notes of various colors all on the edges and I made charts and everything about our trip to get us ready and basically the the preparation was just one big learning experience. The children watched me prepare. They watched me learn about Disney before we ever went. And when we got there... The whole time they were making fun of me, teasing, joking around about how mom's got all these charts and she's got all these sticky notes and everything. But then the whole time we were there, they wanted to look at the charts. They wanted to pass them around on the bus. They wanted to look at the book. They, you know, nobody ever uh, complained about carrying the backpack with the big heavy book in it because it had all my notes in it and everything. And this modeling love for learning just showed them that learning can help you enjoy a vacation. Learning can help you enjoy so many things and unlock so many things.
1: Okay Again, the goal is to have your child to love to learn so that it needs to be modeled in you, but not not only you, the next major point is try to do learning as a family so the entire family is together. Start when they're young and try to incorporate the whole family learning something at the same time. So an example of this may be. Um, we're cleaning up the house. We put on an audio uh, cassette and we listen to something in history. So not only does mom and dad learn about it, but all the children learn about it all at the same time. So it's not it's not just your child trying to learn. You're you're learning at the same time. A, a place we've done this many times was at the dinner table, and after. Uh, the meal we'd usually read a Bible or a Bible story book or something, but very often we would have a library book and we would read um, bits of that, and then we could have discussion about that. Uh, but do that as a group whenever it is possible. We kind of think of it this way: the family that learns together, it will stay with the children longer. And if you think about it, is why is that the case? Because they are going to be more interested in learning that act, whatever that concept is you're teaching because you're interested in it. And you are going to be constantly saying things to them and reminding them of it and it will be, get continual reinforcement. So make learning a family affair whenever possible.
0: Okay, the next one is to integrate school with life, chores, service, ministry, and more. And this tip has to do with um, not seeing school as a separate entity, not seeing it as something that you do from, you know, eight to three, or many homeschoolers, you know, from eight to 12, or eight to one, or whatever, based on how long it takes for you to do your school with your kids, and the number of children you have, and their subject areas, and and uh, learning styles, and so forth. But not to make it uh, just something that happens during that time. We have to remember that school is a man-made institution. Now, there are a lot of man-made institutions that are great. There's nothing wrong with a lot of them. But at the same time, um, we have to understand that when something is made as a man-made institution, it is sometimes based on a research and based on um, you know how things work the best, best outcomes, and uh best practices but it's also sometimes based on convenience. In school, sometimes, is the same way. Many things that schools do are based on research and uh, good outcomes and best practices. But oftentimes, they're based on the fact that you have 25 students, one teacher, maybe one teacher, and one assistant. And so this is what you have to do. It's based on mass education as opposed to what might be best. And so we have to to not just think of, okay, well, this is the best way to do it because this is how a school does it. But rather, um, this might be better for us because we're not a school. So this is not to say that you won't do things like a school, but that you don't blindly just say we're going to do it like the school because that's how the school does it.
1: Okay. The next key area here is to school all the time. And the better term here will be to learn all the time. See, would you homeschool or when you teach your children at home, home educate, many people think that that means they should be sitting at a desk from 8 to 3 because that's what they do in a public school or that's what they do in a Christian school. And what they literally try to do in their home is to make a school look just like a school and do it at their home. We would lo- think of, of of home education more like this. While you're at home, you do school. So when we think of school, we don't think of school starting at 8 o'clock and ending at 3. It can start way before 8. It, you can hold classes at night. Matter of fact, a lot of times for me to be involved when our kids were younger the classes would happen very early in the morning or very late in the night so i could be part of them we don't look at school as happening monday through monday through friday you can school on saturday you can you know you you can school on sunday maybe it's in a different form because it's more it's it's sunday school guys or other things that you can be teaching and they can be learning. We don't look at it happening between, you know, September through May. Because during the summer, um, we do a lot of educational things. Yes, the schedule may change. Yes, it may not be as many subject areas. But learning never stops. Donna, share about Joshua when and... Uh, some of the early stories of yeah. Joshua.
0: When uh, Joshua, our oldest, he's 33, and he's our, our guinea pig, and he, we found out that we were on to something with this love for learning through him and our next child, the one who's working on, like Grace said, I think this is her fifth degree. Um, but uh, the, he did not know that much about school. Now, when he was very young and he was like in what we would call kindergarten age and stuff, he had a school tub and we would get it out. I always read to him hours and hours every day and he would get out his school tub and sit at the table and do his little, do some little workbooks and things. I didn't do a lot of workbooks with him because that wasn't the type of learner he was. Um, but he would get that out and do that and start on his little chart and so forth. And, um, one day on a Saturday morning, my mom was there for some reason and, uh, Uh, Ray always went to work uh, when our older kids were little on Saturdays, just like he did during the week. So this Saturday morning, Joshua got up and opened his school tab and sat down at the table. And, and my mom said, what are you doing, Joshua? And he said, I'm doing school. And my mom said, but it's Saturday. And I was, you know, motioning for not to say anything, you know, because he didn't know that you didn't do school on Saturday. I didn't want that to be ruined. And so she kind of, kind of, you know, just left that for a little bit. and, and, uh, little, later on, Joshua said, Mommy, did you know that other kids don't do school on Saturday? You know, to him, school was not something that just took place during that time. It just took place all the time. And uh, it was just such a joy to have such an eager learner and, and a child who didn't think of school as only being during these months, these days, and these hours.
1: So when we look at this learning, quote, schooling, uh, we look at it as just a, a lifestyle. That was that was the way we we raised our children, to always be about learning. Um, Sometimes we had books; most of the time we had books. Sometimes we didn't. But some key Bible verses that we really used here is the whole concept of you know adding two things, little upon little, line upon line, precept upon precept. That learning occurs not in one big blob but it occurs in little pieces very often and that just keep building upon it. Or we look at it like in Deuteronomy 6, 5, where we're told to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, but it says, And you shall teach them diligently unto your children and shall talk of them when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And we look at truthfully, Teaching occurs when you rise, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie. Or it occurs all the time.
0: Okay, still focusing on making learning a big part of your family. Uh, The next tip is to make learning a priority in your home. Um, We love to talk about priorities and prioritizing because we think it is one of the keys to successful homeschooling. Actually, it is the key to success in anything. Making whatever it is that you say is a priority to be a real, genuine, authentic priority. Um, A priority is what you do, not what you think you do. And so in order for learning to be a priority in your home, it must be important to the entire family. Um, That is, in our case, that we were putting our money and our time and our energy and our resources towards learning because uh, we wanted to show the children that learning was a priority. The quote that uh, I like that has to do with a lot of things, but specifically here, is what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. So if in moderation you are lazy or um, not very interested in learning, your children will do that in excess. And we found this to be true in so many things. And so, you know, the old adage, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and, and that type of thing. What it's really saying is that your children will be like you. And even more so, it seems that they will often amplify those negative behaviors or amplify your positive behaviors. And so whatever you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. And so in this make learning a priority in your home, that means that other things have to become less important in order for learning to have its place where it needs. So, you know, maybe frivolities and, um, you know, reducing the, the other things that you do that do not really help lead to the goal of love for learning that do not lead to the goal of lifelong learners make time for important things when we were first learning to homeschool you know 25 to 30 years ago we went to greg harris's workshops the christian homeschooling workshop and the advanced christian homeschooling workshops and one of the things that he taught was that we should attach important things to something that is already in the schedule So he said, if you go home and you say, okay, this is important to me. So I'm going to attach it to something that's already there. He said, what you already do, you can just attach other things onto that time period, either before or after it. And it will stick because you already have something in your schedule that's there. And so we came home and started attaching important things. We attached chore times to before breakfast and reading time, Bible reading out loud at breakfast and at dinner. And family worship after dinner and story time after lunch. And, uh, you know, uh, chore time and dinner preps and stuff before dinner. And the next thing you know, our attachments were... Um, just attached to other attachments until our whole day was one big attachment. But if you want something to really happen, you need to attach it to important things that are already in your schedule. Along with making learning a priority in your home, you want to be sure that you're always evaluating because everything is good in homeschooling, or at least it would seem that way. And it feels like everything is there, you know, just constantly shouting out to you. So you want to skip the good And do the best. That is whatever is best for your family. So we like to evaluate. um, You know, if you heard us talk about the successful homeschooling father or about our 30 tips. You know, we like to make a change every week or a change every month. And we met every week to try to evaluate things and see how things were going. Also, making a learning priority in your home is that you use often gift money to buy books and games, experiences, going to museums and zoos, showing your children that learning is truly a priority in your home.
1: The next major area to affect the love for learning is the whole area of discussion. And we'd like to just say you discuss everything. So what happens is any time that you have an activity, any time that you read something, any time that you see something, any time they read something in a book, then it is time for discussion. And what discussion does, it allows, it's a two-way conversation. Okay, and again, here's where one of the pitfalls a lot of times people fall into. They think they're, what they need to do as a teacher is to teach the student what they know, but yet we're talking about something entirely different. We're talking about letting the student tell you what they know, and then you can have a dialogue back and forth. Both people need to be doing the talking. You need to learn to listen so that you can ask questions to keep the dialogue going so you can discuss. Now... When does this really happen? Well, it happens anytime there's a new learning activity. There should be a lot of discussion. This is the first time that your child ever went to the zoo. You need to talk a lot about it. Letting them again talk. Um, When does it happen? It happens a lot of times when you can't have a real life experience of something. But maybe then you could discuss it. Of what you read in a book. Or discuss what you saw in a movie. And again have the dialogue going back and forth. Um, the way to make discussion occur. Is to kind of have these things in, in mind. You have two ears and one mouth. So let you do twice as much listening as you do speaking. Ask Questions that start with how and why. Because how and why questions give answers that are longer and you'll start to get their real understanding and and comprehension of what they understand. Go into a time of discussion with the concept, you don't know everything. You may not be right on every issue. So you need to listen to what your, your child is, is saying to you. And every time there's a discussion, you do not have to correct something if it is wrong every time that you hear it. Because if you do that and your child tries to discuss something with you and all you're doing is correcting them, you're teaching them not to bring things up to you. So what you do is you let them talk and you let them talk and you let them talk and you make a mental note that I need to go back sometime and on this issue we need to talk about it in detail because I don't think they understand it fully. Now again, it's it's okay to correct some minor things, but if you're constantly correcting during a discussion time, then your children will learn to be quiet. Donna, do you have some examples?
0: Um, with, with questioning things and letting them question things, this was one of the huge things that our older kids said to us. You know, when we first started out parenting, we, like many of you maybe starting out with your kids, didn't have any idea what we were doing. Right. And so we made a lot of mistakes and there were just a lot of times where we just had no idea what to do. And we did things that were wrong. We had, we were extremely strict. We, a lot of times didn't explain things as well. Because we were too authoritarian in our parenting style for a while and at first. And we um, had some rules that really just didn't make any sense. And now that I look back, I look at some of those rules and I'm like, what were we thinking? Why was that even a rule? That's not that important. And it certainly isn't anything to... um, to cause, you know, uproar in your family, and it certainly isn't something that was important enough to make a rule that, you know, this is our family. There were some things that we've had, a lot of behavior absolutes, these things are actually absolutely crucial, but there were a lot of times that we did things that really, they just were crazy, you know, and um, one of the things that all of the older kids said when asking them, you know, what kind of things, you know led to your love for learning they all said that we allowed them to question us that they we allowed them to question what we were doing and and our oldest one even went so far as to say you know a lot of times it didn't make a bit of difference you didn't change your mind the rule didn't change the approach didn't change but just the fact that you let us question that you let us ask questions that was just so 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 important And um, we actually have some teaching on this. We have a a poster pack called Recipe for Rebellion in which we teach how to let children ask respectfully. Because it's not that we don't want them to question. It's just that we want them to teach them to question respectfully. So letting them question things and not always having to be right is just crucial for developing a love for learning.
1: And one other thing in this area is the concept of This questioning occurs at non-conflict times. So, it is not when you tell them they have to be home at a certain time, if we're talking curfew, and they start questioning you about, well, why do I have to come home so early? Johnny doesn't have to come so early. That's not the kind of questioning we're talking about. Because that, very quickly, will get into a conflict. We're talking about when everything is peaceful... Your child's known by, a, a, you know, obedient behavior, you know, and then they have a legitimate question. Why is it that I have to come home at a certain time? And then you can have a discussion about it. In a non-conflict time, they brought up the issue. You've given them the right to do it. So, it's not an argument ever, and if it ever you ever get into this situation... And you see that a questioning time becomes an argument, then it immediately stops. You do not let your kids argue with you. But again, allow allow them to question.
0: All right, the next big area is understanding the effect of reading on love for learning. Um, Reading is so crucial. in in learning and in being a lifelong learner that it's really important that we understand its effect on the love for learning and what happens when it doesn't happen in a a way that your children enjoy it the first one under this is to build strong and enjoyable reading skills one of the ways that you can build strong and enjoyable reading skills is of course to uh, teach to your child's learning style which we're going to be talking about in a little bit But in addition to that, it is to teach your child to read when he is ready to learn to read, waiting for readiness. And so just really keeping an eye out and watching how quickly he learns and when he is ready to learn to read and putting it on the back burner and doing other things in the meantime while you're waiting for readiness to happen. Next is to reward reading. We always placed a huge emphasis on when a child was learning to read. So we would, um, during the time that the child was learning to read, uh, at that time, book clubs were really, really big where you got the book of the month in the mail. So every time a child was learning to read, they got enrolled into a book club. And so they would get a book in the mail every three weeks or every four weeks. And that was just a really huge deal. And it was just a way that we were like making it big that the child was learning to read. Also, we did the same thing with summer reading programs. We would uh, double the prizes in summer reading programs for uh, the child. So what we would do is whatever they would earn at the library, we would double that at home whenever they took part in a summer reading program, just really emphasizing that. Uh, We were involved in Book It! for a number of years. That was a great way to record reading and to be sure that it takes place. We uh, would often pay the children for reading, and these were just things that they weren't expecting us. You have to pay me because I'm reading. These were things that we instituted because we wanted our children to love reading, and so uh, uh, we would often pay a dollar for a book of the Bible. Um when each a lot of times not every child but when our children some of our children had a difficult time bridging the gap from picture books to chapter books so at that time I instituted a payment you know for every chapter book you read you get a dollar or you get five dollars or whatever up to a certain level and that gave them some, some incentive to try to read chapter books and then once they started reading them they realized that they were able to read it. Um, entire series were often, would often be rewarded with a you know trip to Dairy Queen or something like that when you read all of a certain book series. Um, and just different ways that we can reward reading. Different ways that we can make reading seem as valuable as it really is. Also, reading to the children. Um, I read to my children two to four hours a day for 25 years. Uh, During different unit study times and story time in the afternoon and so forth. just That showed them that there was such a huge value in learning to read. That it was worth it to learn to read. And also, uh, for our non-readers or late readers, using non-reading materials for them is really important to build a love for learning. What happens is if a child is late in learning to read or uh, slower in learning to read then they don't get the value of learning as much because they're not maybe ready to read at their listening level or at their comprehension level. So in other words, they'll have this really high comprehension level, but because they can't decode words, they're not able to read and learn and understand and enjoy at the level that they really are able to comprehend at. And so for those readers, I recommend using non-reading type of materials, either reading to them or using talking books using audios videos to be sure that they are constantly learning constantly being challenged at their thinking level don't let their decoding skills hold them back in their thinking level next in the same area of uh, uh understanding the effect of reading is to read aloud from the beginning i just mentioned how i read aloud uh two to four hours a day for 25 years um so there are a lot of books out there that are available to um, uh, to teach you or give you a list of good books to read. Um, you can definitely use those. Of course, the internet and Pinterest is a uh, wealth of knowledge with um, with books, book lists, and things. But at first, you know, if they're not really uh, that able to listen to chapter books that well, like bridging the gap from orally reading. Picture books to chapter books can sometimes be difficult. And so because of that, I would often use compilation books. Um, There are like great stories to read aloud. uh, Jim Treleases, Hey, What Are You Reading? Um, Myths to Read Aloud. These type of books that have uh, uh, individual stories in them. We call them compilations. Uh, William Bennett's um, compilation of... uh, um... Oh, he has a couple compilations, a few compilations of of a lot of stories. They're like fairy tales and they're moral stories and they're character building stories and things like that. But these compilations will often help your child enjoy you reading out loud when he's not really ready to listen to a whole chapter book or something. Reading aloud, if you start early enough and you do it and enjoy it as a family, it'll become something in your family just like reading a good, just like watching a good movie. That you, it'll be something that you know this is all oh, we love this book we just loved it we read this book out loud and you you'll actually start sounding like other families when they're talking about movies that is how you want reading to to fall in your family now when you're talking about comprehension and uh Um, bringing comprehension to the reading approach, because that is such a huge part of love for learning. You want to be sure that the comprehension uh, activities and things that you do are not too schoolish. As Ray mentioned before, focus on discussion over rote memorization. You want to use those how and why questions as much as possible. And you, you don't want to say, you know, who wore the red cap and then he tells you who wore the red cap you want you don't want to say you know who fell down the ravine and then she tells you who fell fell down the ravine you want to know why she fell down the ravine how did she fall down the ravine why was somebody wearing a red cap what was the significance of the red cap so you want to be sure that you are building comprehension with the, those great oral questioning techniques keeping in mind that listening comprehension is usually a lot higher at first in children than reading comprehension because of the lack of decoding skills and so you are going to be building comprehension that will later be used in their own reading so whatever comprehension skills you are building while you read out loud all you are doing is building his comprehension skills for his own reading even though it's all in the oral avenue right now when we're talking about comprehension it's also important to build learning hooks Whatever experiences, whatever things that you do as a family, whatever things you read as a family, all of those things build learning hooks. And then your child adds to and adds to and adds to. So that later on, when he's asked to write a paper about something, he goes back to all of those learning hooks and he brings those all together to write his paper. When he has to read something that's more difficult or more challenging about a topic, every single experience, movie, discussion, read aloud, trip to the zoo, trip to the museum, whatever. Every single one of those things are learning hooks that he brings to this harder uh, book or harder uh, learning experience. And so it makes it that much easier when he has all those learning hooks to build it upon.
1: And one thing about these learning hooks, I mean, that's a concept we used years ago. But if, if you've seen the Disney movie Inside Out and you picture all of the different balls that were in the little girl's head, all of those are learning hooks. they the learning balls. The things that she would bring back to her memory at a later time. Um, Today, we have it much easier than we did years ago with the use of the Internet. Because now, when you're reading something and you say, da-da-da-da-da, and the anteater did this, and your child looks at you and says... What's an anteater? You go you get your you know get on Google, you find it, you say here's a picture of it. Here's what it is and you have a learning experience about an anteater that you created this hook, you created this ball that will be in her mind the next time she encounters that word, she'll know a lot about it. And a tremendous amount of learning occurs because you have the hooks. I feel very uh, sorry for children who do not read a lot or do not are not read to a lot. And again, if your child is not a reader right now or has trouble reading, you can read to them and the same concept of learning will occur. But if you you don't do it, they don't have those hooks established. Thus, it makes all the rest of their learning, the rest of their, their life, harder. So, lots
0: and lots of reading. Okay, the next big section has to do with make learning fun whenever possible. Making learning fun whenever possible. Um, we have a tendency to make things, to try to make things overly fun and too fun sometimes, meaning that we don't give our children the chance just to enjoy the daily ins and outs. So, you want to be sure that you build a love for learning in such a way that your kids like the normal things too. But one way that you can make them like all about everything about homeschooling and about learning in general is to make things fun whenever possible. Talked a little bit about non book teaching tools a little while ago. Um, for the late reader or the slower reader. Um, But this also works out well for multitasking. Some kids are able to sit there and color and draw uh, pictures, do penmanship pages, build with Legos, um, do crafting, uh, handwork, different things like that while they are listening. And so, if you have a multitasker like that, this is especially true with auditory learners. I had two very auditory learners right off the bat, and they were able to just do all kinds of things while I was reading out loud and still comprehend and understand and stay with me. And so, if you do, you might want to consider, you know, letting them do those things while you're reading out loud or while they're using, you know, audios and uh, downloads and things like that, too, to learn. Um... But, uh, also keeping in mind that you can't be, uh, the teacher for everything. Now I had, did, when I first started out in homeschooling, I came from a teaching background. And so I wanted to teach. I didn't think of, I I had a tendency to think of homeschooling as being school at home a lot of times. And so since I was a teacher, I was supposed to be teaching them. And so this worked out fine for a while with a couple of kids but then I soon found myself with a house full of children all ages a lot of small children babies and toddlers and I had I got all materials that involved teacher intense intensity all teacher intensive materials so I was using unit studies I was using math that was like a dialogue kind of math or a scripted math where I read from the script and we did uh, manipulatives together and things. Uh, social studies and science were completely uh, unit study based. So that was a lot of projects and reading out loud and making lap books and so forth. And then their reading lessons and language arts lessons, those were real, you know, real teacher intensive, as you would expect with teaching a child to read or write. Um, and so before I knew it, I was homeschooling, you know, from eight in the morning until four or five every day. And, um, I just knew something had to change. And so it was then that I started mixing it up and I found that this really created a lot of love for learning too because instead of just having one avenue or one source of learning um, I was able to give my children a lot of different avenues and a lot of different types of materials so we still did unit studies but I also assigned projects I also assigned reading to them outside of the unit studies Um, I changed to a, a less intensive math a computer-based math. They would use videos for creation science. And, and we just used a lot of avenues and a lot of learning styles and a lot of types of material to learn from. And it helped them actually become more independent in their learning. And it also helped them enjoy learning because it broke up their day with a variety of methods. Also, I used charts and checklists. We have an inexpensive download called Independent Worklist um, Checklist Booklet uh, that you can download, and um, they have all different types of checklists on there. So you can set up from there or on your own checklists in which your children have their independent work listed each day. It's really important to help them learn to become independent learners. They go through their list of tasks that they're supposed to do on their own, and they mark them off when they are done. And um, I teach a lot about that on the video and the audio that go with that. But using checklists is just really great for keeping children on task, but also for making them independent and helping them feel like independent learners so that they are gradually moving away from your spoon feeding, so to speak, and gradually moving into, I am in charge of my own learning. I am in charge of making sure that I get everything done each day that I'm supposed to do in order to learn.
1: This um, kind of brings me back to the definition we gave of learning, that is acquiring knowledge by either studying, practicing, being taught, or experiencing Okay, a lot of times when we start talking here about non-book examples. We're saying get away from the being taught, get into all those other methods of learning. So this is this is this is a heyday for a dad. Dad, you may not be the one that's, that's teaching a class, you definitely can plug in here and be one that is leading these non-book examples uh, throughout the evenings, throughout the weekends. A lot of these non-book examples. Uh, out lots of ways that we've done it. Um, How do you teach a child to do fractions? You can do a math book or you can grab a basketball, go shoot free throws, and every time they make one or miss one, You can calculate the fraction. You can calculate the percent. And my question to you is, which one do you think your child will learn quicker? With a basketball in his hand? Or with his nose in a book? Where do you teach the concept? Let's even go to a physics concept. Where do you teach the concepts of friction, gravity, gravity, Center of balance why don't you do it with Legos? why don't you teach it when they're young playing and building Legos and the whole concept you know if you build it this high and the center of the center of of, of gra- uh, the center of balance of this is going to be too high and what's going to happen it's easily going to topple over and or the whole concept of Yes, you build something on the top and gravity is going to knock it over. Again, it is a concept you teach with a non-book. So when they incorporate it later in a book, they understand it. Again, it's the same concept. Learning hooks are the balls out of inside out. Um, So what what kind of things do we do? We we played all kind of games. Uh, And again things like Axis and Allies, who played card games where they learned to, do, to you know, uh, look at statistics and, and learn the concept of risk and reward. Um, you can do it with computer games. As I will tell you, a lot of computer games we believe are frivolous. We just stay away from them. Um, but there are a lot of good games on computers that that can really help learning. We put down the word dress-up. The whole concept of imagination, when your child dresses up as the queen and another one of your children dress up as a knight and they interact with each other, all of a sudden they start knowing, why does the queen act the way that she does? And what does the queen's power have And they start understanding the answers to the questions like how, why, because they have to act it out for themselves. The learning just occurs exponentially. Um, So imagination is huge. Community events, such things like had one one, uh, son that was thinking about becoming a police officer. So we went to a course in the evenings for, I can't remember, it was like 10 or 12 weeks, of where we went to the police station and they taught us different things about what the policeman would do. And it was it was a huge, huge learning experience for him, for me, and by the time that we were all done, multiple members of our family were at a lot of the events just to to learn. Again, we were, took learning away from a book. We didn't want the book to get in the way. Of the learning. We want the learning activity to happen without the book. I do want to give you one example and, and ask you what do you do in this situation? You're in the middle of trying to teach us an assignment that is a required assignment and you've got to get through it. But all of a sudden, your child asks you a question and there is a teachable moment for you to teach them about something else. What do you do? Do you get? Are you so interested in getting through the book that you forget to teach your child at that time? Or do you take the time, that teachable moment, and then teach them what they're interested in, and then later come back and finish the book? I would tell you that utilizing those teachable moments will help your child develop a love for learning.
0: The next thing has to do with homeschool memories, one of my very favorites, especially since we are graduating our last and seventh child from homeschooling after 32 years, uh, just next month, May 2016. One of the first times that I realized the true strength of homeschool memories um, happened whenever um, we were we about to have our son our very first child's wedding our son was going to get married in two weeks and lots of planning and preparations had taken place and it had just been a very intense six months prior to that and just two weeks before he's about to get married he would you know wander into our room and start talking at night when we were in bed and then the next child would come in and the next child And before we knew it, they were rolling the chairs from the dining room, which was right adjacent to our bedroom, into our bedroom and lining the outside of the room with children in chairs, in rolling chairs, just talking and talking and laughing and laughing, carrying on about all of the homeschool memories, talking every night about all the museums, all the books we read, all the things we did together, all the fun family activities. And it was then that I really realized that, A, we had built a strong love for learning in our children, and B, those homeschool memories would someday keep me very warm in the cold winter of life. And so I just can't say enough about really just building homeschool memories. You know, there's that saying, teach me and I'll forget. Show me, I may remember, but involve me and I'll understand. So when it comes to, you know, helping your children both in comprehension and learning, as well as in creating memories, it's, it's those things that you can do that will involve your children that will really, really make a difference in their homeschool memories. Uh, our kids, 25 plus years of field tripping, the more unusual, the more they remember, and the more homeschool memories are made. Our kids' favorite three memories of field trips outside of our every five years to Disney World and our long weekends at museums that we would often do were the three times that we stayed overnight at some place. And the, just the fact that mom and dad were both willing to do it, we had, in two of the three cases, we had toddlers and preschoolers with us. In one of the cases, I was very pregnant, sleeping on an army cot of straw, um at the fort and in all three of those instances they remember the memories that we made sleeping at the top of the jungle gym this huge jungle gym with a toddler having to hold him down to keep him to to make him go to sleep at the top of the jungle gym at the science museum when we did it overnight there at in the snake room at the zoo and sleeping bags and in the soldier's cots made of straw um, at the fort in Fort Wayne. And just the the fact that, you know, they like, now that they're adults, they just can't even believe in, that we did that with small children and everything, that we were willing to, to do that. But also just the homeschool memories that were made, you know, that those things are just so significant to them. They were by far their favorite homeschool memories.
1: And the last major section we want to talk about is focus on the learner. Um, each of your children are different. Each of them have different learning styles, whether it's audio or visual or catacetic. Um, they each have different interests and different bents. So, what you need to do to help them to learn is direct some of that learning toward things that would speak to them. So, if your child is a good audio learner, then Get stuff from the school, from the library, you know, audio uh, CDs, and let them listen to it to do some of their learning. If they are somebody that needs to touch it to find out, you know, your your daughter's struggling with something in math and they've got to touch it, get to the kitchen and let her make her favorite food and figure out fractions in the kitchen you know, touching things and working with it. Again, focus upon each learner. Each learner is different, so, so all of our home schools will look different. Um, the concept here of delight-directed studies is find a niche that your children like and study it. A couple that I can just remember real easily. I talked about a basketball and learning so many things with basketball, we, we did we did that a lot. But what I can remember is, our oldest son was interested in World War II, for some reason, and so we spent, you know, probably a month reading books about that time period, watching movies and discussing things about that time period. That's when we got introduced to the first board game. I think it was Risk at the time about things that would happen during that time period because he was interested in it, so we picked that as a time to to teach about World War two I mean he wasn't a high school student ready for that he was he was a a young boy, but it developed a love for learning for him so much that he ended up getting his degree from the university in history because of it was that uh was very directed, delight-directed to him. Last thing I really want to share about learning here is, remember, each child is different. Your goal is not to teach conformity, so your kids conform to what you do, but they, uh, you know, are not uniformity, but that they know how to learn, and they know what they know, and they know why they know it. And if you think about this from a biblical standpoint, it's not so important that your child has the same doctrine as you, but that they know what they believe, and they know why they believe it, so they can later defend it. So often, Christians leave the home, and they fall away when they get into university or places because when the first time they really get questioned about their faith, they don't know why they believe it. And their best answer they can come up with, well, that's what my parents taught me. And that's all they have for a reason. And that's not a good enough reason to defend your faith. So it's not about being conformity here. It's about letting them learn to to read. I'm sorry, learn what they believe and why.
0: Great. Thank you very much for joining us on this Wondering Wednesday podcast episode. I will say that most of the topics that we talk about, we have blog posts, other audios, videos, teaching products, and so forth. We also have um, dozens of curriculum books, character quality language arts, meaningful composition, Write on Mowgli and Write on Peter Pan. Lots of great uh, books to teach writing and language arts from. And a lot of other parenting materials that we hope you will look into. We would also love to hear from you about coming to do a parenting seminar, Raising Kids with Character, in your area. Thank you again for joining us. This has been Ray and Donna Reesh with Raising Kids with Character, Parenting Seminar and Blog, Character Inc. Press Publishing Company, and Plexus to Feel Great.